the Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello everyone, you are listening to Cambridge 105 Radio and this is the Cambridge Film Show. We've got a really big show today and a big team to talk through all the latest releases. My name is Yossi Osman and joining me are Simon West. Hello. Ashley Whitaker. Hello. Miles Marchant. Hello. And Stuart Pask. Hello. So, really busy show today. We have loads of films to discuss and on our varied moving picture platter we have Gina Prince-Brythwood's historic epic The Woman King, dramedy from David O. Russell Amsterdam, horror franchise finale Halloween Ends, coming-of-age war story The Greatest Beer Run Ever, royal search party drama The Lost King and Bronte biopic Emily. We are also delighted to interview Mike O'Brien from the Cambridge Film Festival. So we just better get on with it, basically, because we've got lots to cover. Let's start by journeying to West Africa and the Kingdom of Dahomey. An evil is coming that threatens our kingdom, our freedom. But we have a weapon. They are not prepared for. That is the trailer for The Woman King, which is currently showing in cinemas. Gina Prince-Bythewood directs this film. It is the stirring tale of the Agogie, an all-female unit of warriors who protected the Kingdom of Dahomey in the 1800s from enemies and the threat of European colonisation. The Agogie are one of the few documented female armies in history. And it's got a really great cast. It's got Viola Davis, Lashana Lynch, Thuso Mbedu, Shida Rateem and John Bayoga among lots of other lots of other great actors so um i think i'll start with you simon if that is okay it's rare to see this portrayal of african cinema and this is this in terms of history and it's very much getting the big budget hollywood effect here does that detract from perhaps some of the main themes of the film um i don't well not really. Um, I think it gets a Hollywood budget, and what we get here is a Hollywood film. Um, I was expecting a bit more niche uh, film, um, you know, more about the women soldiers, about, you know, slavery in Africa and uh, the patriarchy and the women's place and how unusual it is. And I felt for most of the film, that wasn't what I was getting. I was getting an absolutely fantastic action blockbuster. It just so happens to be set in Africa um, with a mainly female cast. Um, everybody's fantastic in it. Um, <clears throat> Valerie Davis, again, has been talked about Oscars already for her role as Daniska. Um, I thought Sheila team was quite a standout. Um, you really, you know, felt for the characters while watching it. Fantastic scenes. you got a few, like, John Biega's just, like, you know, turns up every now and then, and he was okay, the king. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it was a really good, entertaining watch. Um, it does cover quite a few of the scenes, like you say, about, um, you know, the patriarchy and about a, a unique women's army in Africa, which you don't normally get in Africa, in, you know, in Africa or anywhere. But... It didn't really say anything about them being unusual. It didn't highlight why they're unique. It didn't highlight. It's like no, they're just what this is what these people do, 
and they're very competent and this is why they are so good. But is that not to its credit? Miles, I'll, I'll come to you next, um, just in terms of you don't have to say a lot about this female no. army. They are just presented on screen as being amazing warriors and doing a lot for for their kingdom. As we're saying, yeah, I just want to point out, I want to say that is to the film's credit, yeah. and it does treat all of this just normal, natural, and that's how it should be. Yeah. Miles, what did you think of the film? Just overall. Yeah, yeah. I feel, um, as uh, Simon said, I feel that is to its credit, uh, the fact that it doesn't mention the fact they're women very often. It only really says in the beginning that they are an all-women army, but I feel that is to the film's credit. Um, the way they present West Africa and the lighting and the shots used are beautiful. The way they... Um, the, the fight choreography, they show the uh, army actually fighting is amazing in a lot of the fight scenes. And as a blockbuster, I feel it thrives. Yeah. I... Yeah. And... Again, with the themes of um, kind of slavery and uh, racism, yeah, I feel that it does it a lot better than the way it could have. I feel the way, oh, I don't know the way. In terms of you know, it, it, it's it's touching on slavery, yes. but this film isn't necessarily about slavery. It's yeah. really putting the yeah. emphasis on the, on the female warriors, but it is still important to touch yeah. on the it actual talks about history. Slavery. There's the ways um, that the Africans also had a role in the slave trade. Yes. Um, it touches on that, but not in a way that detracts from the film. It's a, it touches on slavery, but not in a way that it doesn't shove it in your face too much. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Stuart, you've seen, seen this film, right? So um, I, I do want to touch a little bit on the representation of slavery because actually one of the things the film does is perhaps let's say lighten the actual role of Dahomey in the slave trade um and there have been questions about how they might have held back on the realities of this involvement in your opinion was that the kind of right decision to make for it to be more this is a controversial way of putting it palatable to a general audience and this is this is me really picking here yeah i think um for me personally going and seeing this not understanding a lot of african history and a lot of the slave trade which you could argue is a problem with the the curriculums in our schools these days we don't learn enough about it and then see it so you all you, you always think about how 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 uh, sort of white europeans were always the villains but there are always the gray areas where you have the, the local people who feel as in order to survive this process and in in, in turn avoid becoming slaves themselves, they have to become the middlemen to facilitate yeah. the white Europeans who are arriving on foreign shores and who don't know the area, don't know the locals, and they act as these sort of grey area tour guides. And it's it's a terrible situation for them to be in, but they have to do it to survive. And it, as a result, they sort of, you know, they, they particularly in the film, they are portrayed as villains, but you have to have some sympathy for the situation they're in. It's... Um, it's 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 yeah it's 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 very very controversial. <laughs> but let's be truthful, they are not to blame for slavery. These no. African tribes, they are not to blame for slavery. And yes, it has to touch upon it. But what the focus of the film actually is is this group of female warriors. Mm -hmm. And if we're talking about the film and how it presents, isn't it refreshing to see black women from African history presented in this way? 
Yeah, I think um, particularly in in terms of the prep of the for the roles, a, a lot of the actresses went through some pretty intense combat training to become fit enough for the roles to learn how to to handle all the weapons that they handle on, on screen, uh, and and the choreography of the fight scenes um, is really really impressive in that regard. Um, I don't know if anyone else has got other things to add to that point. Or... I think one of the things the film does well, like I said, it touches on all of these issues, but it doesn't actually offer you any solutions or or necessary determinations about these issues. Um, which means, like I said, you can go in and enjoy it purely as an action film, mm. and then it gives you a lot to think about and talk about afterwards. Yeah. Um, you know, which is important without actually overshadowing the action or having a good time yeah. or um you know you you worry about now you, you read about all the you know the cultural hate to say it, the cultural wars and but you know it's a film too woke and it did kind of like be presented as that and really it doesn't cover any of that it's just a good hollywood film yeah everything's normal this is how you know how everything should be and you know it's fantastic go and, see it and just before we close i'm just wondering if anyone has any standouts from the cast that they'd like to give a shout out I'm to saying sheila team sheila team um it's absolutely fantastic as yeah. uh viola davis is like best friend yeah miles anyone i was gonna say um i think viola davis herself obviously is just one of the best things about the movie overall yeah I mean, she's got such presence, hasn't she? Um, Stuart, anyone for you? Uh, I thought John Boyega was slightly odd casting. I know he's portraying a young king, but he, he almost looks too young to be a young king, which is, I think, perhaps an odd observation, but it's just something I noticed. <laughs> and we're really tight for time, but I, I can't... You brought up John Boyega, and the one thing I did want to say is it's interesting that this is presented as a very feminist film, but under the guise of it is very much they're still serving a patriarch and John Boyega is that patriarchal yeah. figure, isn't he? Yeah, the, the women are allowed to be these awesome characters and have the freedoms they have because a man said they can, which yeah. is... Mm, yeah, it's... it's... Yeah. But that, that's the history. Yeah. That, 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 that is the history. OK, I could go on about this forever, so I'm going to shut up now, but The Woman King is showing at The View and The Light Cinemas. It is a certificate 15. OK, so we're going to move on. Our next big release for this week's show is David O. Russell's Amsterdam. Harold, I don't know what you think you're doing. Excuse me. Hello. Got a dead white man in a box. Not even a casket. Doesn't even have a top on it. In a pine box of old wood. Who do you think's going to get in trouble here? Do me a favour. Try to be optimistic. OK, so Silver Linings Playbook and American Hustle director David O. Russell directs a star-studded cast in Amsterdam. This dramedy, set in 1933, concerns three close friends who witness a murder and find themselves at the centre of one of the most shocking secret plots in American history. Ashley, this is O. Russell's first film that he has done since Joy, which was in 2015. He's become a little bit controversial, let's say, since then. We're not going to go into the details of that. Um, what does this film have to offer other than its cast, let's say? Oh, that was my answer. OK. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of famous people, um, which is a bad thing in all ways because the... The storyline, if there were one there I could have picked out, is made even harder to follow 
with all these faces popping up every five seconds. You think you're getting a grasp on what's going on. And you're like, oh, that's Taylor Swift. What? What? And then something else happens, and you're like, right, I think they're going out together, and I think they're double crossing, and, and I think now we're in a different country. Oh, it's, it's, it's Chris Rock. Um, so, yeah, it distracts from an already very messy, convoluted mismatch of stories happening. I mean, just looking at this cast list right now, you've got Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Chris Rock appears, Taylor Swift appears, Zoe Zaldana appears at one point. I mean, it is just loaded with big names. Simon, do you agree that kind of basically tracks from what the film actually... I mean, we've not even mentioned Robert De Niro and Rami Malek. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. It just goes to show on. Um, I think... This is one of the films where the director is liked by a lot of actors. He's probably a acting director, as you saw from the massive cast for like American Hustle and films like this. Um, I was watching a few interviews with Christian Bale about this film earlier, and he was saying apparently uh, David O. Russell had like 12 scripts and he was like putting new ideas in when they filmed it and it got edited down. And I think that's part of the problem. This film is a complete mismatch of the plot. You don't know what's happening. Um, and the actual plot doesn't really come together until the last half hour. And if you think about it, it doesn't actually fit in with what you saw before. However, individual scenes and individual set pieces are absolutely fantastic. I think if you watch this film, you will find scenes and sections that you like. Christian Bale is fantastic. Margot Robbie is fantastic. John David Washington is fantastic. All the actors are fantastic. There's a 15-minute sequence where they meet and actually spend time in Amsterdam uh, in between the war when they keep saying history is good and then it gets bad again and then it's good and it's bad. It's like, enjoy the good bits because you know it's going to get worse, but when the worst bit's in, it's going to get better and remember the good bits. Mm. And that was lovely. You know, that was fantastic. That was great. You could see when you get the final plots about trying to install fascist dictatorships around the country, how David O. Russell thinks it's quite relevant and it is relevant mm. to now, mm. um, and you can see the parallels. There is a lot of good in here, a lot of it you can see coming. I think there's uh, good intentions behind most of the film, but you can't argue the fact that it is a bit of a mess, it is convoluted, it does go wishy-washy and all over the place. So as, he, as they say in the film, enjoy the good bits while you can and the bad bits will pass on. I mean, is it enough to have these golden nuggets in a film when, I'm going to chime in here myself, the plot, let's say it's intricate um, and there's a lot going on? I just felt like it was all a bit of a waste of my time, despite the fact it's quite okay and it looks very nice and everyone is very nice but I didn't take anything away from it at all. I mean it's an awkward one it's not a film I would go and recommend people go and see however if you do decide to go and see it you would enjoy bits of it it's you know it's not good the whole the parts are nowhere near as much of the whole film but if you do end up sitting it you will going in there and you'll be sitting there and going Actually, this bit's okay. I enjoy this bit. This, you know, this is fine. I, I like this bit. I like this bit. You will remember bits of it later on. It's just hard to recommend as an entire film. And the film is two hours and fifteen minutes long. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, not the best day to end it on, but um, we're going to have to end it there. So Amsterdam is showing at the View and Arts Picture House. It is a certificate fifteen. 
Right. So, something very exciting is happening in Cambridge this week as we kick off the 41st Cambridge Film Festival. If you don't know, the Cambridge Film Festival is the third longest running film festival in the UK. It's run by the Cambridge Film Trust. And this year it is running from the 20th to the 27th of October with a wide ranging series of films, including several UK and European premieres. So I'm joined, well, we're joined, sorry, today by Mike O'Brien. Hello, Mike. Hello. Mike, you are a trustee at the festival, I believe? That's right. A yeah. trustee of the Cambridge Film Trust. Who yeah operate the festival and you've also had a little bit of a hand in some of the programming yes i've been uh, i've helped out with the programming um we've um we've put together a programming panel um this year um led by l haywood um and um a mixture of established programmers from the festival bringing in new people as well and it's been a really great collaborative process Really awesome. Good. Awesome. So this, this is the 41st run. Tell us, tell the audiences what, what people can expect from the, from the festival this year. Well, they're going to ex- they're going to they're going to get diversity. Um, they're going to get films from all over the world, um, of all different genres. Um, so, it, it, much like um, Cambridge Film Festivals of the past, I think this is a a, a, a really good program. Um, we got an opening film of the Banshees of Inishirin with um, that's Martin McDonagh's film following yeah. um, billboards yeah. of of where was it three billboards, three billboards of yes. Ebbing Missouri that's the one yeah um, with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson um, and the closing night film is Silent Twins um, starring Letitia Wright and Tamara Lawrence so um, we're bookended by some really good films there. Um, we got our usual strands, um, so we got gala gala films, um, including the Palm Door winning Triangle of Sadness by Ruben Ostland, um, with Woody Harrelson in, um, and the Golden Lion um, um, winner at Venice, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, with, um, by Laura Poitras. She did Channel, um, she did Citizen Four. Um, documentary has done a number of really good documentaries um, and <clears throat> so we've got the Palm Door, win- uh, Palm Door winner at Cannes the Golden Lion winner at Venice and we also have the Golden Bear winner at Berlin um, uh, and that is Alcaraz it's part of the very popular Camera Catalonia strand. So this yeah. is films from Catalonia, um, programmed by Ramon Lamarca, who's been with the festival for some time uh, and always puts together a really good selection of films. Uh, and we're very pleased to have Alcaraz, um, um, which is in that strand, and that's the Golden Bear winner at, at Berlin. Wonderful film by Carlos Seaman. Um, Please see that this fantastic film um, about um, peach farmers in in uh, Catalonia um, and brilliant ensemble um, acting, um, a real highlight. That's going to be and, and something that I'm you know I, I've been going to the festival and actually been part of the festival for a few years now. But it's it's really great to see that this is very much an international selection of some of the greats from worldwide cinema and a Cambridge Film Festival does it, it is quite proud of the kind of global 
nature of its film selections. Is that right? Yeah, we're very we're very proud of that. We're also very proud to have fifty percent female filmmakers um, again for the second year running. Um, it's been um, it's um, the bottom line is that that's what we do now, um, and, and we 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 always seek to show films from all around the world, different cultures, um, different peoples. Um, because film, for us, film is a is a is a is a wonderful art form that can bring people together, can bring can foster a wider understanding of different communities. Um, um, as Mark Como used to uh, used to say, it's the it's the empathy machine um, and film. So for us, it's really important, and, and especially these at this time of our difficulties, it's art is really important. And art's under huge strain, so we're proud that we're the Cambridge Film Festival's still going. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still vibrant, and um, it's really exciting. And this year, particularly, we're, we brought on our youth lab. Um, young people are really being involved in the festival, mm-hmm. um, and we've got our youth lab jury again for the second year running, um, third year running, and. Um, yeah, that they've brought a real new, exciting um, feel to the festival, yeah. and you'll see them prominently around as well. That they're so it's so it's so refreshing to get um, young people who are excited about films of different genres and different kinds of films. And, and speaking of young people, let's not forget that there's a lot going on, because some of our listeners will have children, and there's a lot going on for kids at the festival as well. Yes, yes. Um, we've got we got an um, uh, Outstanding Contribution Award, the first to Emma Thompson this year, and we will be showing one of my guilty pleasures, which is Nanny McPhee, <laughs> uh, which I love. Um, so, yes. So we have some uh, a, a lot of screenings during the day, and we deliberately price them very reasonable at three pound um and that's uh, films before one o'clock um between one and five they're six pound fifty so we're really conscious that you know a lot of people are struggling now with costs and we're, tr- we're deliberately trying to make it as um affordable as possible for people um so there's there's lots to see the short films as well there's yeah i, I did want to give a, a little shout out to short fusion because yes. um the short films are always amazing every year i've gone one of my highlights has been watching one of the short film programs that are at, at the festival and it's really important to give those the teams behind those shorts a bit of a shout out as well isn't it yeah it's um it, it's the training ground of the the directors of the next generation you know yeah. christopher nolan showed his short films at the cambridge film festival That's so, a shout out yeah isn't it? so so it's 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 it, yeah it's it's the stars of tomorrow and what's what's lovely is the imagination and the skill of some of these short filmmakers you know there's a wonderful animation that tells a complex story in 3 minutes i mean that's what that's what filmmaking's about you know telling yeah. a story with power and impact in 3 minutes amazing yeah. absolutely amazing brilliant Thank you so much, Mike. I, I think, I, I mean, I'm really excited for this year's festival. And if you're interested and want to know more about the Cambridge Film Festival, please do visit the website, which is camfilmfest.com.
Com. It is starting this week on the 20th of October, running to the 27th of October. And I know that uh, it, it was going to be amazing. So please, please do try and get out if, if you can. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you for having me. Cambridge 105 Radio. Monday evenings on Cambridge 105 Radio. Strummers and Dreamers with Les Ray. As there are so many different kinds of folk songs out there. Traditional ballads, shanties, work songs, songs by singer-songwriters of all kinds, my particular thing. You'll get live sessions and interviews by local performers and those from further afield, the big names on the scene and newly emerging independent artists. Lots of new music, some classics and something special just for you. Strummers and Dreamers online whenever you want it and Monday at 7 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Are you suffering from buffering? Find yourself screaming, not streaming? Or do you just lag behind? Then it's time to demand better broadband. City Fibre is building a brand new full fibre network across the UK, giving you access to broadband from a range of providers that's more reliable and up to 20 times faster than average. So you can stream, game and video call without interruption. Get connected to full fibre today. Choose your provider at cityfibre.com slash Cambridge 105. CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, Director of CKLG, responsible for business services. We understand that running a successful business brings many challenges. Our experienced business services team provide a bespoke service and offer professional advice at every stage of your business journey, allowing you the freedom to focus more on what you do best. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk cklg accountants your partner in business your partner in life cambridge 105 radio okay welcome to the cambridge film show or welcome back even um we are talking about a lot of films we've just talked about the woman king and amsterdam and we've had a lovely interview with mike o'brien from the cambridge film festival and now we've still got four films to discuss and we're going to start with halloween ends it's been four years since michael myers vanished without a trace hello So we are very much in spooky, spooky season at the moment. And um, it's only right before our Halloween show on the 29th of October that we, we touch on a at least one scary film. And this time it's Halloween ends. It's been four years since we last visited uh, Laurie Strode and the revered Halloween horror franchise is, is meeting its conclusion. Also, we are believing that. Um, David Lee Gordon directs Jamie Lee Curtis's Strode as she faces off one more time with slasher villain Michael Myers, where only one can survive. Ash, I'm going to come to you first because 
you're a big fan of spooky season. You love this kind of stuff. This franchise, the Halloween franchise, is now about 45 years old. Is it meeting a satisfactory conclusion here? So You're going to be so let down. Every single person who likes franchise films, franchise horror films, if you like Halloween as a period of time in the year, if you like Halloween, the movie series, I'm a big fan of both of them. I was so excited for this, having been pushed back a year because of covid they released the three new, well, this, this, this final three films 40 years after the first three films. I loved the first of the final three. I loved the second of the final three that kind of got panned as a filler film. I was so excited for this grand finale and I don't know what happened. I don't, I can't even begin to think what they were going for. It's they're trying to touch a bit on generational trauma and situational trauma. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis is fabulous as it, as um, Laurie. There's lots of um, shot for shot recreations, which I enjoy a good Easter egg when we're remaking or revisiting um, old films. Brilliant actors in it. You've got a lot of the original cast back again. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis's granddaughter, played by Andy Matichak, is wonderful. Rowan Campbell, who's kind of the main character in this, um, he's a fantastic actor, hasn't done very much before this, but it was just a complete mess. Not even any good deaths in it. And that's the least you'd expect from a Halloween film. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I'm assuming you've seen a lot, every single all one, of the Halloween more films. Than once. Stuart, how familiar are you with the Halloween franchise? Not nearly as familiar as Ashley is. I mean, I, I went and saw the last instalment of this trilogy uh, last year, uh, and I went because I was invited to go along, and horror movies are not my thing. Mm-hmm. I'll say that up front. I'm not, I won't actively go and seek out horror films, but on this occasion, I went off my own back because having seen the preceding one, I kind of felt obliged to go and see how it all wrap, wrapped up. Um, and... It didn't really wrap it up. It was um, if it, if it was supposed to be a grand finale. There was nothing particularly grand about it. It was low impact, as Ashley alluded to. The 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 death scenes and 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 the, and the murders in it are um, yeah, they're they're just weak. Um, you mentioned that we saw a few that were they're quite they were unique, and we thought, oh wow, I bet that was wild. And they only kind of show you a little flash of it, and you're like, no, pan, pan round. Exactly, and, it, and it's like it's like implied violence, when actually it's an 18-rated film. Surely you'd expect to see more of it happening viscerally on the screen in front of you. Um, but yeah, it's just fallen really, really short. I mean, I was in the same screening as Ashley for this the other, mm. the other night, and um, we were both talking afterwards about how it looked like there were a lot of other sort of um, horror films that they'd borrowed from throughout, lot, lots of little sort of uh, little references to yeah. or, or shots stolen from. And, and again, I'm not a huge film fan, but they were just, they were just so sort of mainstream horror tropes, if you will, that I was like, even I recognise those. It's a shame to to hear you say that because this is a very loved franchise and one of the aspects of it that is so loved is perhaps Jamie Lee Curtis in the role as as Laurie Strode. How much, Simon, do you think the film relies on Curtis? Um, The best bits are definitely relied on uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, They rely on her name to get people in to watch it, Um, which isn't necessarily the best thing. Um... 
This, I mean, this film had a very, very low bar to be better than the last one, which is one, mm. one of the worst I've ever seen, um, <laughs> despite what Ashley says. And in the opening, it meets it. It actually opens with a really effective sequence, pre-credits, that gives you hope. Um, that was fire. First ten minutes was First ten perfect. minutes were perfect. Maybe the first ten minutes, but then... But then... But then <laughs> It goes downhill. It, I give it points for trying to do something different with the possible supernatural thing about is it Michael, is it actually the evil in the town that infects other people? Um, however, a lot of it supporting it doesn't work. The friend I've got a friend who I often see horror movies with all the time and the thing she constantly says, all she says is stop making bad decisions. Mm. And the characters through all of this constantly make bad decisions and it's not mm. necessarily the ones that lead to the death. It's like, even if it's like riding around motorbikes <coughs> constantly without wearing a helmet, don't do that. The main <coughs> relationship in the story seems to be the two couple are being put together for the plot because they have no chemistry and I think any woman would have been running away from this guy within about 20 seconds, and Ashley's nodding her head here. And it just didn't sell any emotional content that it was trying for. It had ideas, it just didn't know where to go. Um, as we mentioned briefly, the deaths didn't work. You wanted them to be more gory. They were, like, inventive, because you thought they were going to be good, but you didn't see anything. It's almost like... We got an 18 here, but in America, were they still going with the PG-13? Because they always cut away, and it's like, if you're going to see a horror-gore film, you want to see the horror and gore. It's part of it. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it had a good finale. You got the finale they promised, but that was with Jamie Lee Curtis, but what the last 10 minutes? Well, I was going to say, because isn't a lot of this um, about that final showdown? It is, and that's the last 10 minutes, but you've got an hour and 20, hour and a half of padding before that and a horror film that isn't scary it's not tense it doesn't live up to its um you know potential and i'm glad they put it out of its misery oh so that there's no it's i mean i'm assuming back. you think it's coming back Ash? michael myers isn't coming back jamie lee curtis isn't coming back but the halloween franchise will be back the town will be back yeah. Well, hopefully, judging by your reviews, hopefully it'll be better than this. This I mean, final, it can't not be better than this. They'll get rid. Of, I mean, <laughs> I, I, could make I, it I had. It'll be better than I this. heard the horrific <laughs> news this morning that the director David Gordon Green is apparently remaking Exorcist, and again he said, "I'm remaking oh. a trilogy," and we're like, "Don't do it. Just, just don't." He got lucky Stop on the first working. film. Okay. Leave it at that. Okay. Well, if you're still interested and you want to get fully involved with Spooky Season this year, uh, which I know is very popular with myself and Ashley in particular, um, you can go and see Halloween Ends. It is showing at The View and the Light Cinemas. It is a certificate, as Simon has mentioned, it's a certificate 18. Right. Uh, so we're moving on to something quite different now, and we're going to be talking about the greatest beer run ever. Are you ready? What are we doing? We're going to run for our lives. We're halfway home. Halfway? I'm Chicky Donahue, and I am not supposed to be in Vietnam. Hey. The title, The Greatest Beer Run Ever, might get you thinking of a fun, maybe road trip style comedy, but this is something a little different. It's got Zac Efron in it, starring as Chicky Donahue in Peter Farrelly's drama, and Efron plays a man who decides to support 
friends fighting in Vietnam by travelling to the war zone and delivering some beer. Um, it might sound a little bit outrageous, but this is very much based on a, a true story. And actually, on 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 his journey, um, Efron's character finds out the truths about this controversial war, and also learns about the responsibilities and complexities of adulthood. Um, so, Miles, I, I'm going to start by coming to you here. As I mentioned, when you hear the title, The Greatest Beer Run Ever, you might have an expectation of what this is about. It, it doesn't quite go there. How did you find this film? Um, well, a lot of it is about the horrors of war and how, especially with the Vietnam War, it's a very pointless loss of life that didn't really need to happen. And there's a lot of um, sad moments. There's a lot of kind of real shots that make you think once you leave the movie. So I, left, I stopped watching the movie... And it made me really think about how war affects families mm. back home, how it affects everyone in it, really. Yeah. And the people who in the country who what's, that's being fought in. I feel like, um, on that note, but though, there is still quite a lot of Zac Efron being a bit goofy sometimes. He does, while there's a bit of tonal inconsistency with the obviously very scary and realistic backdrop of the Vietnam War. So there's a lot of scenes of bombings or scary fights. Yeah. Um, compared to Zac Efron's Chicky Donahue being a bit silly and just a bit of an idiot a lot of the time. <laughs> but you do get to see him grow out of it, and by the end of the movie it feels a lot more totally secure. Yeah, he's kind of coming of age, isn't he, in yes. this film, isn't he? That's yeah, you get to see his journey from being a bit of an idiot really yeah. to being more mature by the end of the film and knowing what war really is yeah Stuart I text in the Greek chat yesterday that I was not enjoying the film in the first few moments that I watched it and then you came in and said yeah I wasn't sure at first but I warmed to it as it went on can you tell us a little bit about that yeah, so it's a little bit of a slow burner. If you're coming into this film fresh and you have, um, you're not familiar with the sort of the the, the background story and, and and the premise, it's um, it takes a, a long while to make its point that it is an anti-war film, um, and it it goes about that by. I, th I think it's intentional that the, they want Zac Efron's character, as he comes of age through, through it, he goes from being fairly naive about his views on the war and the United States' role in Vietnam, why mm. they're there, um, and, and, and then he has this um, idiotic idea, but it's... He's like portrayed as a, as a sort of the noble idiot, you know, in, in compared to the horror and the stupidity of the Vietnam War actually what he's doing, delivering some beers to his mates on the front line, isn't actually that bad idea in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and, and it's when he sort of arrives there and, it's, uh, and the situation becomes apparent and the reality of what he's walked into or sailed into, um, yeah, he, he it very quickly sort of starts to make that point that, yeah, it's not, it's all, it's not like glorifying the violence of war or anything whereas when they are in earlier on in the film they're all like come on we're going to protect our boys we've got to we've got to respect the role of the president it's like not well, actually no you don't have to respect the role of the president in this situation because he's making the decision to send these people to off to uh, a, a pointless war where people will die and more people will be sent to die to justify the first deaths um and, and it, yeah it's really for me 
I sort of really enjoyed that sort of journey in the narrative, even mm. if I found it difficult to begin with. And by the end, I came out of the film having quite enjoyed it and taken a lot out of it. Yeah, and I, I just wonder, because this is a war film and you might be led to believe some things, and we're not going to get too political, obviously, but I just wonder if this might if this film might come across as a bit contrived for people. Ash? Yeah, I I liked the messaging around that it was a, a, a now accepted it was a pointless war at this point in time. Yeah. I did feel it was all it was delivered with a bit of a face slap. It was all a bit on the nose. I'm like, yeah, I know what you're trying to say. Stop saying it again and again, quite obviously. Um it all felt just a little bit flippant for me as well. I know we're supposed to think of Zac Efron's character as this boyish, stupid, if charming silly thing flitting around a battlefield but yeah that didn't really land for me either I was incredibly bored until the helicopter scene and then I was like oh okay now we have some meat to the situation now we're actually conveying how dark of a period of history this was Mm. and I started to respect it a bit more from then on in but even the Efron, who I adore he's given some of my favourite performances of all time in cinema I just felt like he forgot how to act in this. I hated him in this. And, and there is something, drawing from what you said there, uh, 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 coming to Simon, around <coughs> this this war and the complexities of this war. And yes, we now all know that it was pretty much a pointless war, let's say, but its treatment of, of the serious themes underpinning the, the war in Vietnam, is this a bit too light touch? It's a very light touch. Um, I mean, we are talking about Peter Farrelly, who did Green Book and Dumb and Dumber. Um, I mean, my biggest problem with this film is what they're trying to say, which you don't already know. Um, It's not trying to say anything unique or take a unique take on it. It's just like, oh, let's have a fun war comedy with set the Vietnam War and then just say war was bad at the end. Um, it didn't really go anywhere. Um, again, a few good moments. Russell Crowe is in it too brief, being mm. Russell Crowe doing his photojournalism thing, which we've seen Russell Crowe do before in much more serious films that actually have something to say. Um, it's the first time in ages I've seen Zac Efron actually play someone who actually seems like a normal human being, um, which I thought was actually quite impressive for him. Um, it did actually seem like, you know, a laid out, a laid back guy you'd know down a pub, which is not the kind of thing you normally get from Zac Efron. Um, but even when you took the twist halfway through, you can see, I can see where this is going. It's like, quite obvious and the Tet Offensive was shown quite dramatically um, and quite scary at that point and but you just I just couldn't help coming away with the feeling that this film has nothing to say that has not been told better by so many other films I mean if you want a good comedy war film that's serious watch Good Morning Vietnam you know or MASH well you know MASH different war but Mm. it it just didn't do anything. It's just like, OK, that was two hours gone. I mean, we're being, let's say, a little bit negative about this film, but, I mean, it's on Apple TV, so it's something that people can watch at home if they've got a couple of hours to spare. There's, there's got to be something to like. 
anyone? I, I think um, the, the point is, 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 of the, the Vietnam story being told before, go and see better things. Perhaps maybe having Zac Efron as, as the front man of this is, uh, is, 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 in a, is, is sort of an attempt to get a, a wider audience for this sort of film because it's on a streaming service so it's going to be accessible to young audiences younger audiences will know Zac Efron and a lot of Vietnam Wars are fairly dated now I think mm. that's probably fair to say that's a good point um, so I, th- I think it would be it, it, it's certainly not the best Vietnam War ever but perhaps it's a good inlet for people to go to sort of you know find, be, feel obliged to go and find out more films like this that might be better but also older. Yeah, it's like we remake Clueless every year. We should remake <laughs> The Deer Hunter. <laughs> I'm going I'm to take that clip of Stuart saying best Vietnam War ever and just have that on, have that as a, have that as a, as, as a sound piece. Sorry. No, out of context, that's not fair. <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking, sorry. I'm, okay, so The Greatest Beer Run, as I, as I said, it is on Apple TV, so if you want, if you want to watch it, it's, on, it's there for you to watch from your very own sofa and it is a certificate 15 okay now we turn to the lost king a very competent and valued philippa but i've decided you are at the right level for you are you actually reading from an hr manual no no what would improve things at work a penis you can have mine not really busy these days Mom, what are you doing you're coming to the theater with me my kingdom for all I actually felt quite sorry for him. I'd quite like to visit his grave. There isn't one. Are you sure you want to join this group? You look quite normal. I'm not. Do you have any books on Richard III? We have eight titles. I'll take them. That is the trailer for The Lost King, which is Stephen Freer's film um, concerning recent history of past history sorry uh, where the remains of king richard iii the last plantation <coughs> king were found in a car park in leicester um which i remember it being pretty big news at the time i think it was about 2012 something like that it was fairly recent whether it was it was it was really big news so um miles this is a really it's actually quite a fascinating story that they're telling here um and it's sort of telling something in terms of a present perspective, but it's all about the past and it's about history too. Was there enough there that was engaging for you? Um, I feel for such a obscure film, um, it was surprisingly, it kept my attention the entire run through. Um, the performance by Sally Hawkins is, as you've seen her in films like Paddington, very charming and... Um, Kind of, you root, you feel yourself rooting for her the entire yeah. film. When other people try and cut her down, you want her to succeed. Steve Coogan is in this film. He wrote it as well. He does a very good job as the ex-husband, and I feel their relationship is very well fleshed out through the film, and that adds a lot of um, a lot of adds lots of meat to the film that you, is of value. But a lot, uh, some part of the way through the film. Sally Hawkins, her her cute kind of performance could also be interpreted. Some part of the film, you kind of just see her as a bit crazy near the beginning. She seems a bit off her head in a way. And you can see this kind of like a weird, quirky personality. But some parts of the film, I found it as just being a bit on, on like not unattractive, but on just maybe draw away from the character a bit right yeah and I, I do wonder because i mean for me 
I was really keen to see this film because I really like the history. And I remember that, you know, the king in the car park, it was a massive deal. And they did they did this documentary and the, and the character that Sally Hawkins played, she was, you know, in tears at times. She was so passionate about finding Richard III. And so her character is maybe a little bit quirky. Does Sally Hawkins maybe seem like the obvious choice to play this kind of character? I mean, is Sally Hawkins bread and butter in a way? Um, she is puts in a really good performance of somebody who has to struggle day, you know, day by day with Emmy, um, people constantly doubting her and, and undercutting her, and it's a kind of trying to be better than who they are and really struggling. It's kind of role Sally Hawkins does quite often and very, very well. Mm. Um, I agree that it's. I think it's a rather unflattering portrayal of Philippa Langley. Um, not that I'm that familiar who she was, but it's hard to watch this film without knowing the um, recent news stories about the makers of actually being sued by University of Leicester yeah. and the professors for misrepresentation for them, for the characters being pure evil and not pure evil, but constantly sidelining Philippa Langley and ignoring and then swooping in at last minute of the credit. It is not a flattering portrayal in the film at all. Mm. And apparently, from all all accounts, made up purely for dramatic purposes. Um, I don't think anybody actually has a flattering portrayal in this film, apart from the character Steve Coogan plays, um, which, as it's written by Steve Coogan, shouldn't be much of a surprise. Um, so, overall... It's a little bit disappointing. You're hoping for a comedy. I don't think anybody in the cinema laughed at all through it. It's a light-hearted, bit like the um, recent golf, what's it, the golf imposter film, uh, Phantom of the Open. Oh, yeah. You know, With, you want um... British eccentric British person doing something, achieving something wonderful kind of vibe to it. Um, <laughs> but there's so much manufactured drama, it... I found it hard to believe that this story actually happened the way it was shot. I mean, it is about the search for the Lost King. Does it say anything about the history behind Richard III or is it all very much about Sally Hawkins and her quest... Sorry, Sally Hawkins' character and her quest to find the king? Well, there is some... Uh, message of it that Richard III might not have actually been as bad as... um. Uh, history presents him as he might not have actually been a hunchback who was so ugly and killed his nephews um it shines light on the fact that this since history is obviously written by the winners yeah um and since henry the seventh obviously won the war of the roses it shines light on the fact that this might not be really very accurate and shakespeare's very famous play yeah. may not be um as accurate as we see it as there's even a um, Richard III ghost, the, not ghost, but spirit of some kind, that follows Philip Langley around. And there's a lot of scenes where he is presented in a very positive light. So it's making you really question your history and the things you've learnt. Yeah. And as someone who hasn't actually learnt about um, Richard III yet, I'm excited to go into education about it, having seen something like this, to really kind of enrich the um current learning that you get yeah and i think i think that's quite a nice way to end this review in the, in the fact that you you saw this film you didn't know much of the history but you now want to go and look it up yeah. and find out a bit more about richard the third and 
you know, I'm biased here because I've, I've done a lot on it, but if you go and look up the Plantagenet history and then what what became the Tudor history, it is quite fascinating. So if it gets people interested in that, that that's really cool. So if if you want to see The Lost King, it is showing in Cambridge <coughs> Cinemas, um, and I believe it is a certificate 12A. Okay, we, oh, we're really tight for time, but we have one film that I really want to talk about, and we're, me and Simon are just going to have a very, very quick chat about it, and it is Frances O'Connor's Emily. Emily, how did you write Wuthering Heights? <laughs> that was the trailer for Frances O'Connor's Emily, which is about Emily Bronte, one of the famous Bronte sisters who wrote one of my favourite books, which is um, Wuthering Heights. Simon, you've seen this film and I've seen this film and I'm not going to shy away from the fact that I loved it, but I know the source material. Do you know the source material? Have you read Wuthering Heights? And if not, how did this film fare for you? I went into it knowing nothing about Emily Bronte, nothing about Wuthering Heights uh, beyond the song, and you got a bit of Heathcliff, and you got cold, wet moors, and I'm slightly familiar with some of the Air Affair, uh, Jasper Ford's take on Jane Eyre, um, written by Charlotte Bronte, um, but not having read any of the original. Um, I was hoping to learn a lot from this film, and... To, to know more about Emily Bronte and was quite disappointed in the end to find out nearly everything in this film is actually fictitious and made up and taken off on pieces from her sisters and what her sisters did, including the main affair. And it made me question about what the point of this film is, but a lot of people suggested <coughs> it's like what kind of person would write Wuthering Heights and they've taken it from there and imagined her life. Um, it's someone who's quite recluse and as I was watching it, it felt like this is the origin story of the first emo. Um, I mean, Emma Mackey is fantastic as Emily. Um, I really enjoyed the scenes with her and her brother Branwell. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the rest of the film there, there's one scene where she gets really quite emotional and it's the Oscar scene you could say um, where she's saying you know life is not just a cliche and I found it hard when so much of this film felt like it was a cliche right. costume drama biographical and it's like is this really accurate it's so cliched it's a bit of a coincidence but then I did suspect that maybe I am missing things. I don't know within heights. I believe that she has been drawing parallels with the characters and all yeah. of that. So it was a bit of a mixed bag for me. Fantastic performances, beautiful scenery, some really enjoyable scenes and relationships. But overall, I didn't feel I learnt anything. Okay. Um, I mean, that's interesting. And it, and it helps me put into perspective my thoughts on the film because... I loved it, but I have read Wuthering Heights and I liked the blend between Emily's, how her, Emily's life is portrayed with the kind of darker, moodier scene of Wuthering Heights. It's beautifully shot. I completely agree with you there. Um, I, I just think, because we have little details of Emily Bronte's life, that it was... Um, I think Frances O'Connor does a really good job to try and respect Bronte and match it up with with the narrative so 
I'm disagreeing with you slightly, but I totally understand that you... I, I think if they were a bit more open about that intentions going in, it could have been easier. I do want to say, it did actually have one of the scariest scenes I have seen this year, The Mask. So if you're looking for a scary film... Just for a little bit, go see Emily, not Halloween. I was going to say that is tense. Maybe for spooky season, then we should recommend Emily rather than than Halloween yeah. ends. Thank you very much, Simon. We are we are running out of time, but Emily is showing at all three Cambridge cinemas. Um, so please, if you if you if you're interested, go and see that if you can. Okay, I, I don't know how we've managed to do it, but we've done it. We've managed to cover all those films and, and squeeze an interview in. So thank you very much to the whole team. It's been a really, really great show. Our next show is going to be on Saturday, the 29th of October. And I'm, I'm sure there'll be lots more Halloweeny bits if you're into that kind of thing. So join you then. See you later. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>